0: Yeah, I'm on a a little walk here, and I just saw two great blue herons fight for the first time in my life. You know, I, I live in an area where there's great blue herons everywhere, and it's always noteworthy. Like, even though they're common here, like, if you just, if you look at the shoreline by any given waterway in the Pacific Northwest, especially when it's getting toward dusk, you'll see a ton of great blue herons, but it's always amazing to me, even though it's pretty common And if you're not familiar, you know, I don't know where all they live. I don't know in what parts of the world they live in. But they're basically, they kind of look like a stork. Kind of a bluish-gray stork. Long neck. Long legs. Very big bird. Big bird. (laughs) Did you know that big bird is based on a great blue heron? But no, I've seen them my whole life, and I've never seen two of them fight. I've seen crows fight. I've seen crows fight eagles. I've seen two eagles fight. And that's vicious. I saw two eagles fight one time, and there were bloody feathers coming down from the sky. It was actually pretty incredible just saying that. Bloody eagle feathers falling down from the sky. Because, I mean, they were using their talons. They were, you know, really going for each other. And it didn't even seem like it was as bad as it could have been when I saw those eagles fighting. Like, it seemed like these two eagles weren't out to do as much damage as they might normally do. But just seeing these two great blue herons, it was the complete opposite. It was two great blue herons, I think fighting over the same spot. Because the reason they're all along the shoreline, of course, is because they're fishing. And so I think they were fighting over the same fishing spot. must have been a good spot. And they were just kind of, you know, they were flapping their wings and like chest bumping each other. They were like bumping up against each other. And of course, you know, some... Some wise guy would say, oh, uh, how can you be sure they weren't just chest bumping, you know, at a celebration? I could tell it was a fight. I could tell these chest bumps were angry. And they were flapping their wings. I heard a couple croaks. They basically just kind of intimidated each other and chest bumped each other. So it was just kind of funny because it was very nonviolent. There was nothing particularly violent about it even though they were clearly upset and clearly fighting. So it makes sense that this very kind of wise, slow-moving, ancient-looking bird... My dad once said great blue herons are prehistoric-looking, and I agree with that 100%. They're very prehistoric-looking. And uh, seeing them fight, though, sort of, you know, it, it sort of fit their reputation as these kind of harmless... Slow-moving, wise birds. But it was funny. It's funny to see them actually go at it for once. And the fact that it just involves chest bumping. I figure as long as a heron doesn't break its neck. I mean, because that—that'd be my worry. You know, if a, a heron was fighting, as their necks are so long, you can just imagine that thing breaking. But like, I don't even know if there's a bone in there. I don't even know if there's a bone. I don't know. I don't actually know the the skeletal makeup. Of a heron, I guess. I guess I kind of assume that every neck has a bone in it. It must. It's like every rose has its thorn. Every neck has, a, has its bone. Maybe it's just cartilage—a bunch cartilage. This is what we need a scientist for. We need to ask a scientist whether a great blue heron's neck is just one big long bone. I mean, it must be. It must be part of its spine. but uh, this might be a little stop-and-go. I don't normally do that. I don't normally stop the recorder. I just let it all kind of go, but sometimes you just have one thought, and you don't want to force yourself to keep talking just to talk. Pretty rare for this show, but still. If there's any stop-and-go, it's because I'm hitting stop when the thoughts run out. You know, a friend of mine got a hold of me last night and he was saying that some people in his life were basically giving him a little bit of shit for not getting vaccinated. I don't even think he has a hard line about it. I mean, I think his attitude toward it is very similar to mine. Where even though I got the vaccine, the double dose, it's not that important to me. You know, it's like the having an opinion on it, rather, is not that important to me. Because I can completely understand people who are reluctant to get it for sure. I mean, I think everybody should understand somebody who's reluctant. And then I, I even understand people who outright don't want to get it, or outright don't believe it sort of thing on principle. And with my friend, I mean, I don't even know. I wouldn't even want to put words in his mouth as to why he is reluctant to get it, but he's either way he's just not into the idea and some people were kind of giving him a little bit of trouble about it nothing too bad but one of them said to him you know I'll still I'll still respect you no matter what basically I can't remember the exact phrase but it was something to the effect of like well we'll still care about you no matter what we'll still respect you no matter what and my response to that was like "Oh, not getting vaccinated is like being gay If you don't get vaccinated in 2021, it's like being gay decades ago, where someone says like, I respect your lifestyle, I don't agree with your lifestyle, but I respect it and I love you anyway. That's what being unvaccinated is like today. But don't tell anybody. (laughs) You know, that's the thing is if you want to stay unvaccinated, you better stay in the closet too. But yeah, that's the funny thing, is like getting the vaccine, it's like my attitude doesn't change. It was total convenience for me. I was at the doctor anyway and they offered it and I was like, you know what? Just go ahead. It's one less thing to have to worry about down the road, maybe. Maybe it's a whole new thing I'll have to worry about, but either way I decided it's not gonna be the thing I worry about. But it didn't change my outlook. Like, Because that's the thing, I talk about this a lot on this show, but like when someone gets invested in something, like, I, you know, the example that I use is the person I know who got really defensive about Zoom, and it's not that they love the product, it's not that they love video calls, it's that they have to use it, and so the fact that I made a joke about it, not even, not even at their expense, made them kind of double down on, you know, it kind of it, it kind of made them need to justify their use of it or something, you know, that kind of thing. You can do that with anything i mean that's the problem is is that you can really you, you can do that with anything that you've gotten invested in and people are doing that with vaccines like there's people that don't care about the vaccine. like they don't they don't really uh have a, a hardline opinion about it but like me they had an opportunity to get it and so they were like hey, i might as well but the problem is, is then once you get it you can very easily become super you know, pro-vaccine, where it's like, oh, since I got it, I now have to justify that. I'm now invested in that side of the argument. And it's like, you don't have to get that way. Just because you got it doesn't mean you have to suddenly join the team of people who are pushing it, of people who are demonizing people who decide not to get it. You know, So it's just funny that way, how it's like the simple act of getting it out of convenience could very well push someone onto the side of... You know, annoyingly trying to force other people to either get it or to push it, whatever it is. But I just had a laugh about that where when I was being told about this conversation a friend had, I was like, it sounds like very similar to as if you had come out of the closet in like 1986 to your family and they told you that they'd still love you anyway except now it's with vaccines, and of course it is. Because, I mean, that whole line of... I mean, the reason why that makes such sense, the reason why it makes me think of that, is it's, it's what happens any time, you know, there's an insider or an outsider. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's a gay man or an unvaccinated man. Either way, it's just... It's like any time that you make yourself the outsider, it's, it's then the job of the insider to be like, I accept you anyway, Which is a great thing, but it's just funny how arbitrary it is. It's funny how like, like, insider and outsider aren't necessarily these deep-seated things. It's something that can really just come about instantly. Like, all it takes to to produce that way of thinking is to, you know, introduce something new, like a, a vaccine, and then convince people that you need to have a hardline opinion on it, and that people who don't have the same approach or outlook are deserving of an argument or a judgment or forgiveness. I forgive you for not getting the vaccine. <laughs> it's a, it's funny how easy it is to kind of get into that way of thinking. It's it's just what people tend to do. You know, it's what people tend to do when You know, these things come about, so I don't don't even, I in turn don't judge people, and I forgive people for taking some hard-line stance about those things, too. Because, I mean, uh, one of the trickiest parts of the whole game is, you know, not judging people who are judging other people, you know, not judging the judgers to not resent people who resent you. And it's hard to do when it's personal. It's easier to forgive people, it's easier to let things go more when it's just happening out in the world, and you might not agree with it, you might not agree with somebody, but it's much easier to let it go in that situation, Uh, whereas, you know, when it's somebody who's either resentful of you or or judging you in some way, it's a little more difficult because you're like, wait, this this is about me. I have to actually exercise this ability that I'm trying to cultivate this this muscle that I'm trying to strengthen I actually have to use it rather than just resting on platitudes and generalities And I mean what I, what I'm going on about now really doesn't have anything to do with the whole vaccine thing mm-hmm. or anything like that it's just in general just whenever you find yourself like resenting somebody for being resentful. Judging somebody for being judgmental. You're just joining the food chain basically. You're just trying to become a bigger fish eating a slightly smaller fish so unless you really just want to be a part of that food chain it's usually good to strengthen that muscle so you don't just resort to doing that. Well, you might resent people who resent people. You might hate people who hate people. You now have to be on the lookout for people who, people who hate people who hate people who hate people, who judge people who judge people who judge people, and so on. You know, you can easily become, you know, just another part of the food chain when you start, you know, responding to people the same way they do, I don't know, you know what I'm getting at, I already made my point. But uh, another thought I had is, you know, I'm, I'm walking through downtown Olympia and with these mobile episodes, I think I do a pretty good job, I'll pat myself on the back a little bit, I think I do a pretty good job at avoiding making these just like a, a walking narration of my surroundings, like over here is a fish, over here is this. You know, I think I'm pretty good at doing that, even though I just I pointed out these great blue herons. But you know, I was thinking, because there's a statue near there. There's a statue I passed a minute ago. And it's of a man and a woman. And, like, one of them has their arm behind the other one, and they're kissing. And that statue's been there, you know, longer than I've lived here. Like, it's been here as long as I've lived here, at the very least. And I never even, like, looked at it much. I never even thought much of it. I just kind of know it's there I mean it's like any you know civic statue it's like anything like that where I don't I tend to not really think about it unless it's particularly striking you know, it's not going to be something that I, I think about too much But this one like someone brought it to my attention years ago and was like, oh don't you notice that the uh, you know the, 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 the woman is a lot taller than the man. And it's true. You know, it was clearly a decision by the sculptor, you know, it was clearly a decision by the sculptor to, you know, make the woman significantly taller than the man, but I never thought about it. You know, it never even crossed my mind that they were going for that. It's obvious if you look at it, like if, if you know, if somebody had, want, had asked me at some point to give a detailed description of that statue one of the details I would have given is that, you know, the woman is taller than the man, but I guess I never thought about it as a social or political statement. I was just like, yeah, it's a statue of a couple kissing, and then at some point, I don't remember, it might have been somebody I was dating, it might have been somebody I know, but they were like, that is so awesome. This is how girls I like uh, talk. Is the, my favorite kind of girl talks like this. She says, Oh, that's so awesome! That the uh, the uh, the statue has the woman taller than the man. Who would have ever thought? You know, who would have ever done that? And I, I didn't even—I never consciously realized that until that moment. And I'd lived here for probably close to a decade, maybe, maybe five, ten years—I don't know—however long I'd lived here. Either way, a long chunk of time without ever noticing that detail or you know reading into it much. It was just kind of funny that it took somebody pointing that out and, you know, kind of like contextualizing it as, you know, some sort of statement. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess they, they very well, I mean, living here, I was like, oh, yeah, they very might as well, might well have been going for something like that. Like they very well might have been going for some sort of effect like that it just it never would have crossed my mind I I just I blindly accepted it I didn't think of it as like oh how dare they you know how dare like I didn't have some reactionary response where I was like how dare they make the woman taller than the man what are they trying to do here and it wasn't until like someone told me that that's what they were trying to do or told me that that was an interpretation of it that it really made me think at all and I mean this kind of parallels the female protagonist thing, too, that I've gone on about enough times, but still, like, seeing female protagonists listed as, like, a genre tag on new video games, I was like, you know, they always had female protagonists, and I just never, it never crossed my mind one way or the other. I was just thinking, it's a good video game or not. It's either a good video game or it's not. It turns out some games that had a female protagonist were great games. And that's what mattered. And a great game means that character was great too. And I never thought like, gee, I wish this was a man. Gee, I wish this was a man. Never thought that. But I also didn't say, gee, I'm so glad to be playing a game with a a woman protagonist. You know, I never thought either way about it. And that's kind of how I feel about this statue, which of course here I am talking about. I'm probably talking more about it than anybody else ever has. But that's what happens. That's what happens when someone recontextualizes something that you never would have thought about in any other way. Is you, you go, okay, yeah, so that's that statue apparently is a socio-political statement, according to people I know. And uh, you know, why is that though? I mean I I dated a, a girl who was a lot taller than me. You know, I'm I'm five foot ten around there. I'm definitely under 6 feet. I'd say I'm 5'10". And I dated a girl who was at least a few inches taller than me. She was a tall girl, and I was aware of that. Like, if you... Again, like with the statue, like, if you asked me to to describe her, one of the things I would say is tall. But it wasn't like I put it in the pros and cons category. I mean, I also dated a girl once who was probably, like, 5 feet tall. But with uh, someone's height, I don't know, I guess I've never, like... Thought like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this in the pros and cons category, you know, because obviously my ego doesn't depend on whether I'm taller than a girl or not. And you know, of course, there's some guys who are so short that that's just their life. They're like, oh, you dated a tall girl once. Well, that's my entire life. And so I guess you know, just and so being somebody who's dated a tall person. I don't know, that, that really wasn't a, a factor one way or another, and it's funny to me that that needs to be a statement. And to be fair, I mean, there are people out there who are that stupid reactionary who's going to be like, the man should always be taller than the woman. There are people who feel that way, which is just like somebody who doesn't, it's like somebody who isn't distracted enough by their opinions about everything else. I think part of it is that I have opinions about so many dang things that I can't imagine having an opinion about whether a man should be taller than the woman he's with or vice versa. You know, I guess it just, I would never want to make a statement one way or the other. You know, and I I mean, it kind of goes into the vaccine thing too, because it's, it's kind of like that where it's like, I'm not invested enough, like... I have so many opinions on other things that I just can't possibly rest on some vaccine opinion. Unless the vaccine got rid of your opinions, which I think is some people's concern. And it's the obvious joke is like, I got vaccinated and guess what? Free speech needs to go. Free speech needs to go, baby. You know, there's a little bit too much hate speech in the name of free speech and i think we got to clamp down on that imagine how awful i would be imagine how like imagine if i got vehemently into that like imagine if i got into all of these you know those sorts of views imagine how unbearable i would be but no i have enough opinions life is at times unbearable enough My life to where like the idea of having an opinion on vaccines like obviously certain things you know turn me off obviously like just hearing a nonsense phrase like vaccine passport hearing that sort of mad libs gibberish come out of anybody's mouth as a real idea i mean the words alone tell you enough you know i don't even need to know what the idea is I don't even need to know what an actual vaccine passport is. All I need to do is hear the words, the phrase, vaccine passport, and I've heard enough. And, you know, I'm definitely opposed to excessive regulation. But when it comes to just the personal decision of getting one or not, the pros and cons, the the potential what-ifs, You know, I just thought... They offered, I just took it. They offered me a shot, and I just said, Go ahead. But beyond that, I can't imagine investing in it. I can't imagine dying on that hill. Like I've said before, free speech is a hill that I'd be willing to die on. Like, that is one issue where I'm not afraid to make it clear to anybody. Like, there's not a single person that I'm afraid to communicate that to. Like, I have opinions that I'll totally admit. Like, I'm a little, uh... not necessarily scared. But let's just say a little... I'm cautious. There are opinions I have that I don't even think are that controversial. But that I'm a little cautious to say them to the wrong person. But the whole free speech argument, you know, that's, that's a hill that I'd be willing to die on. And I think you know which hills you would be willing to die on because you aren't afraid to mention them to anybody and everybody. I think that's a good way to measure that in yourself, to measure which issues you would be willing to go all the way for. And for me, that's free speech, because it almost seems like I'm, it almost seems like a cheat. By saying that, I almost feel like I'm cheating, because it seems so obvious, because it's such an umbrella idea. Like, so many things are included in that. It almost doesn't seem fair to have that be your, Issue because the thing is, if you care about free speech, it can't be a pet issue. Like, by its very nature, it's not a pet issue, it is something that connects and relates to virtually everything you know, to all expression. So, that's why that's the one I choose, and that's why I have a fairly absolutist approach to it, too, because I believe that human history and for that matter, the present day, it's filled with so many people trying to collapse that cavern. And there will inevitably be rubble and rocks in the way. You know, there will inevitably be, I mean, there's so many people at any given time between like governments, corporations, institutions, not to mention just people themselves. See, I told you about these helicopters the other day and there's three military helicopters flying over me right now not after me but you can hear them and there's been a lot of this like yeah there's a military base half hour 40 minutes away so you do see some military traffic but I go on a lot of walks I spend a lot of time outdoors I've never seen so many helicopters flying overhead, and not just one at a time, because I don't ever remember seeing multiple helicopters at once regularly. And that's what that's been the case recently. I would say there's easily been three or four times in the last couple weeks that I've seen groups of helicopters, military helicopters, going. I'm not paranoid about it, I'm just aware of it. But anyway, like what I was saying is, you know, there's enough people trying to collapse free speech. Like, there's enough people trying to chip away at the walls of that cavern that there will inevitably be a bunch of rubble. Like I feel like it will inevitably be on the verge of collapse. So taking a more absolutist, and I don't think you can take a more absolutist, just taking a truly absolutist stance, it's not that you actually expect total free speech something like you actually expect the world to exist in the state that you desire it's that by taking that attitude you're doing everything you can to keep the tunnel clear of debris to keep the tunnel from collapsing even though it's not perfectly clear and never will be because like I was saying governments institutions corporations even people individuals themselves as we've seen in the last couple years the last few years are more than willing to try to collapse that tunnel for one reason or another cuz oh you know some bad people use this tunnel that's sort of the excuse it's like since some bad people travel through the tunnel of free speech we're just gonna collapse it for everybody and we're gonna make you go down this other tunnel that we've created and it turns out it's not much of a tunnel Because, I mean, that's the beauty of free speech, is there really is this tunnel. You really... Because, I mean, being a human being, you are in darkness. You are born from darkness. And you have to figure it out as you go. Like, even though things are lit up, even though the sun rises, there's lights in houses, you come out of the womb into a, a bright hospital room. Like, even though that's all true, and you can see everything and hear everything and taste things, you know, you're still living in this world that you don't know so how is the world any different from like waking up in a dark tunnel or a dark cave how is the world any different from that because you're still gonna have to feel your way around you're still gonna have to figure it out as you go and even if your parents are telling you like watch out there's a rock right there oh you better watch out kid because you're gonna trip over a, a random boulder like even if you have people helping you out in that way and people uh but uh, you know, even if you have people helping you out that way it's like you're still very much born in a cave you're still very much born in a cavern and you're just feeling your way around until you kind of get some amount of confidence I don't know I'm still figuring out how to even explain that process you know so in that way it's like you need all available options to figure things out you need all of your senses to figure things out and then you get into like that's just surviving that's just figuring out how to survive in this world, and then you get into communication where everything you say in this life, you know, even if it has the best of intentions, even if you've thought it through, even if you mean it in a certain way, like everything you say has the potential to be misunderstood, misheard and then misunderstood, ignored or some, sometimes, I mean, you know, you think about like how we all hate being ignored. Like we all hate saying something and nobody heard it. Nobody paid attention. Like we all hate that, but you know, it's just as bad, if not worse, if like you make a throwaway comment and someone amplifies that, like you make a throwaway statement, the, there's no investment from you. And someone's like, did you hear what he said? did you hear what he said? And they broadcast it. They make this huge deal out of something that was a complete throwaway, you know, statement from you. It's like, man, that's worse than being ignored in some ways. That's worse than, because I mean, basically the two extremes are this. You say the best thing you've ever said, and nobody listened. Or you say the worst thing you ever said, with no investment in it, it's an offhand comment, and everybody listened, and they're gonna take, they're gonna put all this weight on it. You know, those, those are both horrible situations, and they're the complete opposite of each other in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, the situations are complete opposites. And But that's just the the danger of being a person, you know, it's not like that's horrible. It's just that you have to, it again goes back to the judgment thing, like, You have to hope that people don't judge you for what you say or don't say. And the people who don't judge you for it are the people who realize that we're figuring things out as we say them, even if we've thought about them. You think about the phrase like, oh, you know, think before you act, like think before you speak. And it's like, even if you think before you speak, sometimes that's even worse. Like if I think too hard about what I'm going to say, I mean, you think about like the idea of going on a date, which for a lot of people is one of the most anxiety-inducing social activities you can do. The idea of like meeting up with one person as this sort of experiment to see if you like each other. And you rehearse things in your head, you know. If you're going on a first date, a blind date, you know, you rehearse things in your head, and it's awful actually, you know, because you're basically just obsessing over like what you're going to say and do, And chances are, it's going to sidetrack you when you're actually in that moment. And so thinking ahead of time doesn't necessarily help you. And sometimes it makes you more inauthentic. Sometimes it actually contributes to your anxiety to try to rehearse or think about what you're going to say in advance. I mean, that's very true for this show, even though the show is certainly not a blind date. The show is a blind date with myself but I know that if I think too hard about what I'm going to say in advance when I'm doing this show, when I'm recording an episode, usually it hurts the show. Like, the show is usually best when I can just go off completely. Like, if I can just go off completely, as I'm doing right now, I'll usually feel pretty good about the show when it's over. But it's the ones where I was kind of, like, trying to, like, trace through some maze in my brain to find things that I wanted to talk about it's usually less natural and so that's true for just life in general you know it's true for going on blind dates with yourself for a podcast and it's true for going on a real date with somebody you know the less that you're trying to like find your way through that maze in your brain to say the right thing you know it's just it's more unnatural when you do that it usually takes you down a notch but free speech, you know, it's it basically allows all possibility. And even though bad people might travel through that cavern, you better be sure that they're bad. I mean, I think that's the big thing. One of the central arguments to this stuff is like, you better be sure that that person is the thing that you're saying they are. Because it's going to undermine your own credibility massively when people realize that you are wrong. And not only are you wrong, You're condemning somebody, and you're wrong about, you know, your condemnation is wrong. So you're you're doing one of the worst things you can do as a human being, and you're wrong about it. So, it's just, when someone says like, Oh, we got to stop people from traveling through the cavern of free speech, because bad people might travel through this cavern. There's there's a good chance that those bad people are just finding their way through the cavern themselves. There's a good chance, I mean, because that's the maze, you know. The maze that I'm talking about is the cavern. It's a cavernous maze. And some of the people that you think are bad, who are saying the wrong things and doing the wrong things, some of them are bad actors. You know, Some of them might be people who are legitimately trying to make the world worse for one reason or another. But a lot of them are just finding their way through the maze, and part of finding your way through a dark maze is you say things, and you follow the echo. And sometimes that's what we do, like sometimes that's what I'm doing on this show, is I'm just saying something out loud and kind of following the echo, and sometimes it leads me to a whole new place, like sometimes I get a whole new idea that I didn't otherwise have. Like sometimes on this show, I'll just be talking and I'll I'll think, oh, I'm really treading water." And then I'll say something and it kind of, you know, I follow that echo and next thing I know, like I'm thinking something that I've never thought before that I'm happy to be thinking about. And I'm like, wow, I'm glad I did that. I'm glad I just sort of treaded water for a minute. And then, you know, just went with a a whim, just kind of followed, followed the whatever, the echo of whatever, which is the name of my album. It's the name of my band and that's our self-titled album, The Echo of Whatever. also the name of my food truck because that's a whole other thing i don't know if i've gotten into that but how you know the modern urban liberal sense of humor it used to involve a lot of like that would make a funny band name oh that would be a funny oh imagine if that was a band name like that used to be a common joke and then over time it became like oh dude that'd be a funny name from a food truck dude that, that would be a uh dude wouldn't that be uh, and it's never something actually funny it's like a pirate joke that somebody would have made on the internet in like 2005 you know but it's a oh it's a food truck man like it's, it's i don't think it, that's like the epitome of urban liberal humor is like food truck jokes and i'm running the risk of making a food truck joke myself right now i think i just did didn't i make one a minute ago But, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a whole other thing. I mean, I could write a book about urban liberal humor and not make it just totally condescending, either, because, I mean, there's funny people. I think it's become less and less funny. Uh, but there are still funny people. I, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't be able to name any. Name some. It's like somebody asking me, like, well, I noticed that you never read any female authors. I'm like, I love female authors, and they're like, name some. I'll still love you anyway, (laughs) even if you can't name any female authors that you read. stop and go, still going here. Just heard a live performer performing at the, they give out food to homeless people downtown here, and I guess they have performers as well. This guy's, he's singing, the chorus of the song is just the words Jesus repeated, which it's cool with me. I feel like that's as good of a message as any in those circumstances. But, uh, I don't know, it kind of cleaned me up a little bit. (laughs) Just hearing that kind of cleaned my mind up a little bit, I don't think I have too much more to add, because I very well could have launched into uh, an endless rant about all kinds of social issues, and I guess maybe I should a little bit. Might as well get it out of my system all at once. Which, you know, I was at Target today, and it's kind of along the same lines. I feel like this is low-hanging fruit as always, I guess, what isn't, what isn't low-hanging fruit, right? (laughs) I mean, that's sort of one of the lessons. I feel like that's one of the spiritual lessons for sure. Uh, Is that everything is potentially low-hanging fruit. Like, everything is potentially something you can kick or criticize. So you kind of see everything as low-hanging fruit. That's why the whole idea of, like, punching up and punching down is nonsense, because it's like... There is a, a time and a place where everything is low hanging fruit. And that time and place is actually the only real time and place, you know, in the moment. Because anytime you have an idea, like anytime you start thinking that there's a certain time and place where something is okay or not okay, you know, I think that you kind of. Straight off the path. Sorry, I don't. I don't have any change. I wish I did. Actually, wish I did. She had a dog. I don't normally say sorry, either, in that situation. Who cares? I realized, like, I I took this hard line years back where I was like, when someone asks me for something on the street... I'm gonna stop saying sorry because I'm not sorry about anything, but the truth is like more and more I'm like, you know what, I am kinda of sorry. I am kinda of sorry that things are the way they are, that people live the lives they have to live, and that I can't do any I can't do much about it. And not to say I can't do anything, but you know, it is one of those things where it's like I can't do necessarily what I'd like to do. So that is something to be sorry about. It's funny how you can trick yourself into thinking that like certain, that saying certain things are weak, saying certain things like make you weak. And they do, so, saying certain things make you weak, but like drawing some hard line about whether or not I say sorry to a homeless person who I can't give change to or don't want to give change to. Cause you know what? Sometimes I don't want to. Now a lot of people are afraid to admit that. But uh, you know, I've I've come back around to saying sorry because I'm like, you know what? It doesn't make me weak to be sorry about that. I don't need to draw some line about whether it's honest or not to tell someone sorry when you haven't actually done anything. But uh, I was uh, I was at Target earlier today. I I go there semi-regularly, but I don't... Usually it's for my own stuff. I was there with somebody else and just kind of along for the ride. And, you know, it's interesting, like, when you're at a store looking for stuff that you want... Like, for me, like, I'm a shadow bouncing around the room. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm like a laser beam who just shoots to the exact things I want. And I get them and I get out of there. But when I'm with somebody else, especially if I'm not really getting anything for myself or I'm not really there to shop, I end up looking around a lot more and noticing things I wouldn't otherwise notice. And one of those things is, you know, it's, it's, a, new, it's, it's a relatively new thing, but it's been around for a while, like, plus-sized mannequins for this thing. And it was a big deal. It's kind of like the statue I was talking about, honestly. It's a lot like the statue where at some point someone was like, oh yeah, you know, like, we're gonna start having plus-sized mannequins. Isn't that cool? Isn't that a big deal? And to me it's it's totally fine, you know, if if people feel better with that sort of thing. You know, if people feel better knowing, you know, that they're being marketed t- to. Cuz I mean, that's what I was saying a while back about like I've I've seen where like reactionaries will complain like there's no white people in advertisements anymore, which is true. But it's like do you want to think that you're easy prey? Because that's what they're communicating. They're thinking, like, you're easy prey. Like, if if you feel represented, you're going to buy this. So, I mean, that's something to consider anytime you start, like, having an opinion about advertising or marketing or mannequins. Because, like, it it obviously doesn't bother me one bit that there are plus-size mannequins. Like, why would I care about that? And they might as well, right? They might as well have them. But it's funny how like that leads to this overcompensation where I was going around Target and I noticed like so many of the mannequins like most of the mannequins were plus size now. And it's something that's happened too with the the ads. Like they have photo ads all around Target like showing people wearing their clothes. And I was like oh, those are doing it too. You know, I was like all the ads there are are doing the same thing and and not just, you know, plus size people even in the men's section they're now even showing, like, plus-size men, and I'm using their term, plus-sized, no, I'm using their term for it, but you you all know what I mean, um, you all know what I mean when I say plus-sized, but, but, uh, I mean, I used to be pretty plus-sized myself, I know a little bit about it. But it was funny just looking at, like, the photo advertisements, because they were all plus size and then old, too. I didn't know this, but they, start, they started featuring, like, old women in advertisements in Target now. Because I saw one, who, like, I was kind of, like, walking by the underwear, like, the women's underwear section. No, to be honest, I was hanging out there. I was spending all my time in the women's underwears section. But, uh, no, I was, I was walking by that section, and I saw, like, an advertisement for uh, something, and it was, like, a plus-sized girl, like, a plus-sized non-white girl, and then a, like, an old white woman. And the old white woman was, like, shown, like, just in her underwear. Like, she was in a bra. It was, like, advertising a bra. And you, so you could see her from behind just wearing a bra. And, it, like, I was taken aback at first because it was, like, there was, like, some discoloration to her skin. Like, just stuff that happens with aging and wrinkles and things like that. And I kind of did a double take because I just never noticed that before. I was like, oh yeah, you know, like they're depicting like a wrinkled old body. And uh, so it's just funny to me though because like every advertisement in the store I was noticing is using that. Like it's like they went from being like, you know, we're going to finally break the mold and feature different types of people. And then now it's like, you know, (laughs) that's, that's what you see exclusively, which is funny. And, uh, so I was just going around the store. I was like, Oh wow. Yeah. That's all they're doing. Like they're overcompensating. And I think that's one of the issues with all this stuff is overcompensation because like nobody can like halt the brakes on that. Once it starts happening without coming across poorly, like once you start saying like, Oh, Hey, maybe we should have another one you know you know you know we have like the one uh, the one plus size mannequin well you know maybe we should have another one too and uh, it's just funny to me though cuz it's like the first person who says we've had enough you know we have enough of them kind of becomes a demon in everybody's eyes it's like the first person who says uh oh you know maybe maybe we should keep at least a few normal size mannequins out on the floor suddenly that person becomes the outsider really goes back to what i was saying earlier where it's like oh we'll still love you anyway even though you don't want the entire floor to be plus size mannequins so it's a a little funny thing that happens because like i said it's it's one of those things like i wouldn't even have noticed it if that was all there was to it like if all there was to it is like one day I, i went into target and there was a fat mannequin there i said it Uh, If I went into Target one day and there was a fat mannequin, I might have noticed. Like I might have been like, "Oh, interesting." Like the mannequins are a little bit bigger now. The mannequins have been eaten. The mannequins haven't been throwing their French fries in the trash. You know, maybe I would have thought that for a second. But it was really only the publicity. It was only the like, "Isn't that awesome?" sort of mentality that even made me notice it in the first place but then being there today i was like oh you can't not notice it now because everything they're doing now is this every single thing they're doing is this and again i don't feel left out i mean i was you know i don't feel left out from target's desired demographic i like i'll go to target no matter what like target hasn't lost my Customership, you know, I've always felt like they're a good store and this is in fact an advertisement for them right now but uh No, I've never You know, I don't feel they lost me (laughs) or anything like that It's just funny though when you become aware of it and then when there's this overcompensation that starts and we see that all over Today in all kinds of different ways like anytime someone you know thinks they're doing something particularly virtuous there's a tendency to overcompensate. One, because they think that there was an, a lack of something before, and there, chances are there was. You know, chances are there was a lack. I mean, I, I i know there was a lack. Like There was definitely a lack of, you know, fat people in advertisements. Unless they were like comic relief in a TV commercial or something like that. But then it's funny how that gets to overcompensate you end up like making every mannequin fat and every advertisement either fat or old <laughs> it's just funny and i don't know that that even i mean i'd be curious to see the results i'd be curious like i'm not really into statistics and all that but i actually would be curious like what the what the numbers show like has that actually increased well especially at a successful place like that cuz you figure like whatever target's been doing all these years has been pretty good They seem to do pretty well. Like, every girl I've ever known loves Target. I love Target. You know, I I genuinely love Target, um, if that's not clear already. But I've never known anybody who's been like, you know, I I really like Target, but they don't quite have my, uh, they don't don't have me in mind. I'm kind of worried that Target doesn't have me in mind. When I'm shopping in the clothes, I just, I just don't see myself represented. When I'm in the women's underwear section, I just don't see myself represented. I don't know. Maybe someone's thought that. Maybe someone's thought that about the culture at large. I know they have, because we hear about it a lot, that people don't feel represented. And there is a fine line there. Like I was saying how, you know, oh, they don't show as many white men in advertisements today well guess what they don't see us as a they either think that that our business is locked in like either they think that they're going to get business from us no matter what or they think that you know we're a lost cause either way you know they're not thinking like oh yeah we're going to trick them into buying our product by showing pictures of them of people who look like them you know either way companies aren't thinking that way right now And the response of, like, surface-brained reactionaries is to be like, how dare they? How dare they no longer try to take my money? Because of this, you know, I'm not going to give them any money. You know, so you see that sort of thing, which is funny, because it's just like, again, it's like having an opinion about everything. It's like, when you should just be like, you know what, like, it doesn't seem like they're trying to knock down our door right now to sell us things we don't need. But that said, there is something, you know, deeper, there is something like, you know, much deeper than that in it, where like when somebody isn't represented at all, it might say something about their social standing, it might say something about the way they're treated in every different way. And I think that was true when, you know, minorities felt left out of advertising, where it was like they saw that not as, oh, they're not trying to take our money. They saw that as they don't really see us as citizens. They don't they don't really see us as people who belong here. And maybe certain ways of thinking went along with that. You know, maybe bigoted ways of thinking went along with that. And you can see that even now, you know, you can see where like, yeah, they've taken the white man out of advertising and that's kind of gone in hand in hand with this increasingly anti-white dialogue in the mainstream, you know, something that kind of started at liberal arts colleges and now you can... Pretty regularly hear these sorts of comments in the mainstream now. So, yeah, I understand that not every reactionary is just mad about the advertising alone, that they see that as a symptom of something larger. Just as people in the past, like minorities who weren't included in advertising and marketing campaigns, saw it as a symptom of something larger. That's always true, you know, and I'm, so I'm not trying to say that that's not a part of the whole thing, but. I think, personally, right now, like, I don't care enough. I don't care enough about whether people who look like me are being catered to, but I am aware of it, and I am aware of the other ways that, you know, these companies overcompensate. I'm, I'm very well aware of the fact that these companies will be like, oh, you know, things ha- you know, haven't been great, and so... We're going to go the complete opposite direction. We're just going to hammer it to death. We're going to beat that horse to death. And one of the reasons they do that is because the person who says, Hey, maybe we should stop beating that horse, comes across like somebody who doesn't support the cause, or who has other intentions. So I think that's one of the freaky things about any kind of epidemic of virtue, is that nobody's really in a position to put the brakes on. Nobody's really in a position to say, isn't that enough? Like, there's nobody who really is in a position to say, hey, I I think there might be enough fat mannequins on on the floor. I think we might have enough plus size mannequins in the men's department. The first person to say that suddenly, oh, so what's your problem with fat mannequins? And I would say, if I were ever called onto the carpet about that, I would say, oh, no, you don't understand. I don't have a problem with fat people. I have a problem with fat mannequins. There's a difference. In case you didn't notice, there is a difference. To me, this brave, this. Go-